Welcome to the Buck and Strutton Podcast, the chronicles of two unlegendary public land hunters. Your home for hunting tactics, strategies, and stories. guys welcome back to the buck and strutton podcast we have kyle beeson back and we're we're talking turkeys tonight so all that's uh with all that's been going on i mean we're kind of coming up to that important part of the spring where it's just you're itching to go out and do something deer season's over with and been bored dealing with the cold weather so it's almost here so with that kyle how you been man yeah, I've been good. Things have been a, a little warmer around here since last time we talked, so that's always a plus. So you are you wearing shorts yet? Um, yeah. I mean, when it when it's above fifty, you, you get that wonderful Wisconsin weather where we'll go from freezing one week to then it'll be like seventies and eighties and sunnies and sunny, and then all of a sudden it's back down to like mid 40s and 50s overcast and rain and but i mean it's better than five degrees i think anything would be better than five degrees well if it gets the deer moving i mean i'll do it but i'm not happy about it (laughs) do so when is uh when is wisconsin's turkey opener uh wisconsin's turkey opener is so the youth hunt opens i believe it's this coming weekend is the youth hunt and then the following week um i believe the season starts on a wednesday for the first week so it's just about two weeks out and your guys is the way your guys's turkey season works is pretty different compared to most of the states. If if I'm if I'm thinking right, like you guys have staggered staggered weeks, right? Yeah. So with Wisconsin, you have to you put in for a draw. Um, you have to apply by December 10th of each year for the following spring. And when you put in, you put in for the zone you want to hunt. Um, and then you get two options. You can pick whatever week, um, your first option week, um, or, and then you get your second option week. And then typically what I'll do is I'll do the second and third weeks. Um, cause usually you'll draw one of the two and then you get a third option. It's just what's ever left over. If you didn't draw one of your first two. Um, so, t- I mean, I've been, I've heard of some friends around the state that didn't draw or they didn't get one of their selections, but it's few and far in between. Typically you get whatever one you ask for, either your first or second choice. So if, if you're not able to hunt that first or, you know, second week or however it falls, or if you're hunting the first week and then you can't hunt at all, 
for the remaining time, are you going out with people, or what are you what are you doing while turkey season's still going on, but you can't physically carry a gun? Yeah, so I, I think I say it every year. Uh, so there's always leftover tags, and usually they're for the fourth, fifth, and sixth weeks. Um, typically, there might not be many fourth weeks left, um, but there's usually fifth and sixth weeks, and those open up like mid to late March that you can buy. Um, I say it every year that oh, I'll just get one, and that's that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to get my one bird, and that'll be it. And then next thing I know, I have like two other tags in my pocket for the fifth and sixth week. Yeah. You know, just cause I, I can't get enough of it. You know, I, I gotta be out there. Um, which this year I, I, I only did one extra tag. So I'm getting better at, at that at least. Um, but my first season isn't till the third week. So even when our season opens, I still have, two weeks to wait till I can go out with a shotgun. So right now I'm bugging all my buddies who have tags before me. Uh, like my buddy, Dave, he's got the first week and you know, he's not a, a big Turkey hunter, but I was like, Oh man, it's we're going, I don't care if you don't enjoy it or not, we're going. So I'm pretty much forcing people to go out so I can go Turkey hunting. <laughs> so I know that, which I mean, my knowledge on turkey hunting is is not very big, so I'm gonna let Dustin kind of step in here and talk strategy and tactics real quick, and maybe get a little insight on what the birds are like up in Wisconsin. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, from what you're saying so far, Kyle, it's like I've got the same drive that you do. Like I was talking to Nick because, like, here in Missouri, the way we have it set. You know, it's like you can kill one bird personally yourself in the first week. And then after that, you have to wait until the start of the second week of season before you can harvest your second bird. And if you still don't harvest it, then in the second week, you still have the third week to harvest the second bird. Or if you aren't able to get one during the first week, at the beginning of the second week, you know, it's like, you can harvest a bird day one of the second week. And then following day two, you could harvest your second bird. Then just the way that they have it set for like, you know, their breeding purposes. Cause it's like primarily a lot of their breeding is going on still in that first week is that primary phase, you know, essentially the strut rut is I kind of like to refer to it as is when they're doing most of their heavy breeding in large groups of hens but it's like it's hard for a guy here in missouri in this situation because you know it's like when you're the kind of guy it's like you can't get enough of it like me i just like i cut my teeth on it i eat sleep and breathe it if i was to kill one the first day of season i would honestly be screwed because it's like if i had no one else to go with i'd be like i have to wait a whole entire week before i can try and go do this again it's like it blows my mind, but thank God that there's a list of people that are already kind of just like, I'm kind of interested in what this turkey hunting's like. Well, thank God Missouri has a uh, apprentice tag and you can apply for one very easily. And then even if you don't kill a bird, I still get to go turkey hunt and call birds in. So, yeah, which I mean, that, you know, that that's most of the fun, honestly. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's great to, you know, get a bird and, you know, punch your tags, but 
you know, when, when you're out there and you're listening to a bird, you know, gobble from 200 yards out and then he hammers back and he's 150. And then next thing you know, you're hearing spitting and drumming. Like, I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. I mean, if I could listen to that every morning, I'd be, I'd be in. Oh yeah. It's the ultimate, in my opinion, like it's the ultimate chess match as far as here in the Midwest or like, you know, the Eastern half of the U S where we don't have those styles of hunting, you know, it's like, cause everything I've ever heard is like Turkey hunting is like the equivalent to elk hunting. It's just for a large bird. It's calling and moving. It's aggressive tactics. Like it's a chess match. But like for me, it just, yeah, it's, it goes beyond a whole different level. Cause it's like, for me, I, I'm like everyone else. I get to fill my tags. I want to at least fill one tag and kill a bird during a season. But it's like, for me, if I can sit down with a bird, it's like what I believe it was Will Primos that said it. When you, you sit down to a turkey, it's like you're talking to him, you're vocalizing, you're playing his own game. And just the whole process of that, it's just, it honestly, it's breathtaking to me. And it just fascinates the living shit out of me because it's just it's crazy how similar they really like are to people when you really break down and think about it it's no different than deer it's like they all kind of make their own rules they play their own game and yet you're here in the due process and you're trying to figure out puzzle pieces together in your head it's like well he liked this and he liked the sound of this he didn't really care for the sound of this okay i'm gonna shut up completely for the next 20 minutes and I'm going to make him think long and hard about what he's doing right now. And then I'm going to come back with this here in just a little bit to try and give him the slip and potentially break him over and make him come in. It just, it blows my mind how you can really, the more that you call and the more that you do, you begin to understand the process of reading a bird much better and be able to break one down and draw one into you. Well, and like you said, like the the chess match alone is, you know, that that challenge of figuring out because you can go from one bird who absolutely loves it when you call and, you know, every time you call, he'll just hammer back and he's closing the distance quick and he'll just do it, you know, and, and he loves to call. He like, likes to hear you, you know, and, and he just that's what he wants. But then you know, say for whatever reason, you bust that bird and then you go over the ridge and you find another one and, you know, he fires off and you call and he might hate it, you know, and, and like you said, you go silent on him and he might love it when you go silent on him. So it's like you have this short window to kind of feel out, okay, what kind of bird am I dealing with? You know, does he, does he like a lot of talking? Does he not like talking? You know, does he like it, you know, excited and, I mean, that, I mean, that's so fun to me. And that's something I'm still very new to of, okay, you know, trying to read the bird. What does he like? What doesn't he like? And, you know, just try not to overdo it and push the bird out before, you know, things really get, you know, started and heating up. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And that's something that like me and Nick have discussed, you know, out scouting 
for the time that we have here in these past couple of weeks, getting ready for opening day next Monday, you know, it's like an idea or like kind of a theory that I've had here. And I've thought about it since the previous season is like, I honestly feel well to start for, you know, some birds, guys will go out on a large tract of like public land or private, wherever it is that you hunt. And you know that there's birds there because you've seen them there before. You've seen sign, you've seen scratching the leaves. You've have excellent roosting opportunity. You know, you have big, strong oak trees, pines, whatever it is, terrain or area that you're in, you know, you know that there's definitely birds there. You have all the the perfect combination of attributes from the land around you to support a good flock of turkeys. But it's almost seems like to me that a lot of guys get discouraged when they go out because they might hit a call when they're scouting or even like whatever day you want to pick out of the season that they got. They don't hear a single bird gobble. And it could be even the best weather day that you could absolutely think possible. And immediately it's just like, no, it's like, well, that bird's hinned up, which is very true. A bird probably is hinned up. I mean, they are like people though. And it's just like, you know, it's like, eh, I'm not really in a mood today. This happened to me yesterday. I had kind of a weird experience. I may have got shot at. I may have got called in and something weird kind of happened, you know? So it's like, eh, I'm going to lay off for it just for a minute. But I also think sometimes too, it's like, you know, birds are so used to in this time of year especially it's like they're gonna roost in one specific main area unless weather permitting or something drastic happens and you know they have to change a roosting site they're gonna roost generally roughly in the same small patch of timber that they're gonna consist there for the large majority of this portion of the year and I think they're putting as much sound out as they can during those earlier months because they're letting all they're doing is letting hens know, hey, I'm roosting over here. And they all live with each other out there 365 days a year. That's the biggest difference that we have with our competition, the hens. We don't live with the toms like they do. So we don't always know exactly where they're starting their day and where they're probably going to end their day at. And with that too, it's like, I keep thinking on it, you know, it's like, you get out there, you might hit a call, something higher frequency, trying to locate birds like a, like a crystal or an aluminum, something that's really just going to shock that bird and want to make him gobble with the sound of a hen. But yet at the same time, it's like, he may not gobble back at you because he's already like, well, any hen in this, you know, around here, she's going to know where I'm at. 90% of the time I feel like that's I feel like it's kind of something that hasn't had a lot of spotlight shed on the fact that you know a tom is already has expectations for the hens in his area she knows where he's at so that kind of leads to a reason why that that bird doesn't always gobble could you kind of see where that might play out in you know up in Wisconsin or around anywhere that you hunt Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, so I've been hunting the same, you know, piece of private that's been in the family that my grandfather had for, you know, a long time. And 
you know, we, we have those like historical, you know, this is where the birds roost, you know, and it might change, you know, maybe it's on this ridge or that ridge, um, but typically it's in, you know, a, a decent area and we have a pretty good idea. And, and last year, you know, I watched birds roost and it was amazing to see, you know, these hens would go up on this area, but then the toms wouldn't be, you know, not those same trees, they would be a ridge over and then, you know, they'd pick out a different tree. Um, you know, so like you said, you know, those hens, they, they know where those toms are. That's what they've been doing all year. So, you know, they're, they're a little bit ahead of the game and, and, you know, especially once those toms get, it get henned up, like you said, um, you know, a lot of people they'll sit there and they'll try and call the tom. Well, I, I look at it like this, you know, if you're out at a bar or, and you know, you, you're talking to a girl. And then someone else, you know, calls you, like they send you a text or saying like, Hey, come over here. Well, why would I, you know, leave for that girl when I have a girl right here? It's like, I don't know. That's how I always look at it. But, um, you know, so for me, it's like when I'm trying to call the birds like that, I'm not necessarily trying to call to the Tom I'm trying to, and I learned this from my aunt because she's the best person I've ever seen do it. She, she'll call to that hen and she'll get that hen all sorts of just pissed off and just get her, you know, get her all excited and get her mad. And she'll call that hen in. And, you know, if that hen comes in, that Tom's not going to be very far behind her. And, you know, if he, if he does it, which I mean, that Tom's going to follow that hen nine times out of 10, you know, he's in for a bad day once he gets in the range. Yeah, definitely. For sure. I feel like that's a, you know, that's a big key that in my earlier days of like, when I started breaking off from hunting with my, my dad and my brother, cause we kind of worked as a unit between the three of us, but still I was young enough. I was just like kind of soaking everything in. I was just like, all right, what am I hearing now that I could apply to myself in the future in turkey hunting? But then it's kind of those things you have to pick up on yourself. And it's like, whatever bird is willing to play and talk, that's when you kind of have to switch up your game. And it's like, you got to vocalize back to that bird in the way that they want to be talked to. And it's like with the hens, it's like, you know, in one specific area that I've hunted piece of public, there is an absolute mecca of just hens that live there. Like the ratio is ungodly, unproportionate. It's pretty bad. I want to say probably for my guess is roughly there's like probably one Tom per every like, I almost, I want to guess like a dozen hens, which I feel like is pretty significant indifference. Like it's, it's pretty bad, but you know, you start breaking out those certain calls, like aggressive purrs or like cuts real loud aggressive yelps those older hens are going to pick up on that it's no different than like you kind of correlate back this back to deer that's the way i kind of think between the two it's like i always think what are the differences what are the similarities but it's like you get those old does in a herd like those old nannies that like to stomp they blow at everything they're super super cautious but they're always the first one to step in when something strikes within their group or you know there's an outsider 
something that they don't like, they're going to be the first one to take a brace of action. And it's those old boss hens that they're the raspy, nasty, nasally sounding old hen that's just going to be yapping at you from the next ridge over. And it's just like when a Tom isn't necessarily playing, that doesn't mean he's not too far from her. And it's like you're saying, you know, sometimes you got to talk back to the hen and you got to piss her off just enough to where she breaks over and comes back to you. But then I like to think of it almost like there's two edges to it. One, you can talk to a hen sometimes, but I've also seen it before to where, you know, you may have a gobbler even, and he may not respond to a hen call. And I've seen it and Nick has witnessed it firsthand with me. You know, I may have hit a hen call, something higher frequency, just trying to locate because certain points in the season, you know, a crow call, an owl hooter, a lot of your locators aren't working that great because they've heard everything in the book at this point. And you're trying to be as natural as you can possible to that bird to try and make him gobble. But sometimes he won't even gobble at a hen because he's so call shy from all the hunters that have pressured him. I found, you know, sometimes you got to vocalize like another male bird to get one to gobble off that. And the way I like to think about it too, is like, even on the roost, sometimes when you can't get a bird to gobble, it was like today we went out and did some scouting. You know, I hit an owl hooter a good number of times, but still you're listening Granted, they had a rough night. Sometimes they get lockjaw because your weather's not that great. Wind, rain, a lot of nasty conditions. They don't like to talk necessarily that great. But still, you hit an owl hooter. If you're pretty close to a bird at the earlier stage in the season and he he hears something, chances are he's going to fire back pretty quick. But it wasn't until I kind of made off my own gobble just using my voice that one actually started a fire back up at us and was like, Oh, so there's another guy over there. Okay. If he's talking, well, it's like kids in a classroom. It's like the teacher asks a question is looking around at the class and it's just like, well, no one's really going to talk until one student gets ballsy enough to raise their hand. And then they talk and everyone's like, Oh, okay. All it takes is one other guy to start talking in the morning and, you know, you kind of get that rhythm flowing. And then before you know it, everyone in the woods is talking back at you. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. And, and I think that's, you know, something that a lot of people could probably pick up, you know, because at some point in the season, like you said, they are, they've heard everything. I mean, they've heard every call imaginable on, you know, from a guy who sounds exactly like a turkey to a guy who just threw in a mouth call for the first time and thought it'd be easy to call a bird. And, you know, and it's, you know, so it, they get so call shy sometimes and, and you've got to change it up and, you know, you don't typically hear a lot of people out there, you know, doing like, if you can throw it like a, a Jake gobble, like, you know, so if you do a couple, you know, some hen calling and, you know, you might be able to get him to fire off, but he's kind of, you know, hung up, you know, if you can throw out like a, a Jake gobble, he's going to be like, oh, well, you know, she's got, 
you know, a Jake there, like that's not going to fly. So I'm going to come over there and, you know, whoop him and take her away from him. And then, you know, and the amount of times I've seen that work on, you know, on some YouTube video or something like that. It's like, it's, it's so undervalued, but you know, and I get why people don't do it because it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but it doesn't even have to sound that great in all honesty. It just, if you can half-ass resemble a turkey gobbling, then, you know, you're in business. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely 110%. It's like one of the things that I've done in like learning how to call and like knowing how to practice those cadences of how they sound and mimicking actual birds that people have gotten on camera and like, you know, watching as many different scenarios as I could, whether it be like a slower paced scenario where it's like a hen, she's kind of slowly moving along or whatever. And she's slowly, she's talking soft and you may have a Tom way back over here and he's gobbling hard or vice versa. She's just absolutely screaming her head off. And then this guy over here isn't really saying too much because he's already just like, you know, she's fired up. I've done all I need to do. All I got to do here is sit and wait for her to come in. I feel like a, a big thing with the, the Jake gobble is like, you know, doing Jake yelps or gobbler yelps, which essentially the best way I think to replicate one is on a slate call, you know, towards the center of the pot where you're going to have the deepest amount of like the deepest tone, the more drawn out, just good, deep throaty sound versus it's not high pitch and scratchy. Like a good hen yelp is it just sounds, it sounds like a boy just hit puberty pretty much. Mm-hmm. And it's like between four to six notes anywhere in there. And if you can kind of mimic that, it's like sometimes you get a midday setting where you're towards a field or something and a lot of birds are colonizing there and they're going to feed or do whatever. It's like, I feel like a lot of times that gets overlooked too is practicing those Jake and gobbler yelps because you might catch a younger bird that kind of has that bachelor mentality towards another Tom. And he's just like, well, my buddy's over here feeding. I haven't seen him in a minute. I'm going to run up here and, just go see what he's up to. Maybe he'll have a hint or two with him, you know, and he might run up there and come in and see it. I feel like there's a bigger way to tackle getting a Tom to fire up to your calling rather than just using your average locators or, you know, your regular hen calls. Yeah, no, f- fully agree. And, you know, and that's kind of something that can be said, um, you know, and, and for turkey hunting and for for any kind of hunting, really, it's just do something different than what everyone else is doing. Like, you know, like you said, that bird has seen and heard everything, you know, under the sun at this point. And if you do something a little bit different than he that he hasn't heard, well, you know, that especially if it's a later later in the season, you know, that might be enough to trick the you know trick an old gobbler and be like all right yeah all right i'll come check it out sounds legit and then you know he comes over the hill and then then he's in for a bad day but he doesn't need to know that (laughs) yeah that's for sure and that's a kind of another thing too with the calling 
like we're talking about here and you know switching up your routine different from what everyone else is doing and that's kind of a one take i wanted to talk about here just get off on a tangent for a second it's like what is your kind of your viewpoint on using a decoy so growing up hunting we never really used decoys like when i went with my grandpa and my dad um especially with my dad it was just a ton of running and gunning um you know we'd be walking through the woods and you know if you hear bird fire up you know start calling to them and you know if you blow that one or he shuts up and goes the other way then you know we go find another bird so we just we just moved and covered ground um and that's how i grew up hunting um so I never really used a decoy. And like when I talked to my grandpa about it, because, you know, I see all these videos on TV and, you know, you get this awesome footage of this, you know, this Tom or this couple of Toms come in and they just start beating the shit out of a decoy. And I'm like, God, that would be just so cool. And then, you know, I talked to my grandpa about it. And he's like, I've used decoys and half the time they work and half the time, you know, it scares the bird away. And, you know, so we, we just never really used them. And then now that I, I'm doing a little more hunting on my own, um, like last year I had, uh, I could sneak in close to a roost and my, my plan was to go put a hen decoy out. Um, um, and then I don't think I put out a Jake decoy. I think I maybe used a hen or two decoys to you know, entice the bird, you know, this Tom that was roosting on the edge of this field to pitch down and then come out by the hens. Um, and it worked. He was gobbling on the roost. You know, I had a good hide. Everything seemed fine. And the decoys were out there. I heard him pitch down and he came out of the woods at about 60 yards, you know, in strut. And he for sure saw the, the decoys and he was on a straight line to him. He went 10 more yards and then he stopped. You know, he got out of strut. He, you know, he kind of tucked his wings and he turned and he he left the field. So he saw something he didn't like, and it's like, I I don't think he saw me. And maybe it was the because the decoys weren't moving, but I don't know. So I I personally don't have a ton of experience with uh, decoys. I've used them a few times, and I can't say I've had too much luck. I've, I have more luck running and gunning, and you know, more of that ambush style hunting. Yeah. Listen to that experience that you just had right there. You know, it kind of reminds me going back to uh, an episode that we did with Cameron Weddington, Godfather 49 on Instagram. He talked about, you know, when you get a bird coming in and if he comes out of strut and he kind of shuffles his wings up over his back, they call that he refers to it as packing their bags mm-hmm. and that is kind of like that sign it's just like it's kind of like a deer flickering its tail or like immediately putting its head up or stomping its hoof it's like something's up i'm gonna be low profile about it but something's definitely up i don't really care for it but i'm gonna sit here just for a second and really see what's going on and another thing too kind of like in that scenario, what you just said, it's like, or how your grandpa referred to it, you know, like decoys work half the time and then the other half the time they don't work. And I have experienced both to the point where it's just like, you know, 
I could go one way or the other in a scenario because the way I always kind of used the decoy was incorporated it into a run and gun style setup. It's like I'm setting up in a position where, you know, it's like you're not using a decoy. You want it to where that bird is hunting for your sound and where you're coming from. And their hearing is so precise and it's so good that it's almost pinpoint. Like they know exactly right where you're at from 150 yards away and they know exactly where to head to. But the advantage to using a decoy is like if you have one set out and you're sitting 30, 40 yards back from it, as soon as that bird breaks over and they see that decoy, they have a reference point. They're now distracted on that and you can kind of get away with a little bit of movement, which is why it's pretty good to use for like a youth hunter or someone who hasn't done it as much because it's like you kind of try and instill that in someone's brain and it's just like hey like deer can see pretty good but it's like you can get away with more movement than most things as long as you're slow it's like i don't care if you're you can be as stealthy as you want to be but you get a old smart gobbler that comes into you and he will pick out something like he their sight's so good. It's like the band between your face mask and your hat. That band of skin just right there where it's opened up for your eyes and you can see. It's like if you blink, I swear, it's like sometimes they can look and they can see that from even up to 50 yards away. It's insane. And just those little details like that that they pick up on. It it's yeah, it's absolutely it's mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean and especially like the the thing that they really don't get you know enough credit for i don't think is like their hearing because like you said you can you know he could fire up and gobble 200 yards away and then you know you can give him a few yelps and he might not make another peep and you might not call but then 10 minutes later he shows up he's got you know that noise pinpointed to probably within 40 yards like and honestly, it's probably even closer than that. Like he could probably go almost straight to the tree that you were calling from. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous what they can hear and how they, how well they can pinpoint it. And then, like you said, they can pick up on, you know, just the slightest difference and they can, you know, they can see just one little thing that, you know, goes wrong and, or doesn't look quite right. You know, like, oh, that tree has a weird growth on it. I don't think I, uh, I don't think I like that. And it's blinking at me. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go the other way. I mean, I mean, especially like, it, and like you said, when you, when you get a, a new hunter, you know, on it, it's like, if you do it right, that bird should only see, you know, the, the barrel, the, the end of the barrel pointing at them the whole time. But, you know, how often does it? does it does it work out like that especially when you get someone new or or something like that or someone who hasn't gotten a bird yet you know when, when you got a bird gobbling his way in and they're starting to get a little excited and they're starting to get a little shaky it's like it's so hard just to sit so still because you get so amped up that it's like you know it's hard not to get excited in the moment you know it's obviously as a hunter you want to get excited after like you know be a good predator and, and get it done and then get excited but, but man it's tough like in the moment that that adrenaline's 
pumping and you know turkeys you have to be so precise and you know which you think like oh it's just a stupid turkey you see them do all these stupid things all the time like walking down the street and attacking cars because they can see their reflection and it's like okay yeah those turkeys are stupid those are city turkeys like i'm talking about country turkeys who are out there surviving and you know when they don't feel something's right they're they're out of there yeah definitely for sure and that was like it brings me like to that right there what you just said it brings me to kind of where i started to depart from the use of a decoy and like when i brought up and i'd said that i try and incorporate just a single hen decoy just a standard head upright no fancy position or anything hen decoy into my setup it's like i do what i like to call like i hide the decoy I put it behind a tree. I put it behind a deadfall. I put it really low to the ground to where it looks like a hen that's willing to breed. She's getting down for a gobbler. And it, I try and put it between where I think that that tom is going to come in from. I always try and put myself back behind a hill or some, torp, some sort of high rise. Because if he's truly looking and hunting for me, it's like, I don't want him to see me until the last second comes around until it's that final showdown. He's coming in, he's spitting and drumming. He's been gobbling hard and he's just making himself look as big as possible coming through wherever he's going to try and show that hen. Hey, I'm here. See my tail fan. I'm a huge, I'm just literally, I'm a billboard. Look at me now, come my way. And last spring for me, it was like, I'd call the Tom into like 50 yards and it was kind of right out that threshold where it's just like, if I would, if I could have swung over, I would have had a shot. I wouldn't have felt as comfortable with it as far as an ethical standpoint. Cause it's like, you know, I trust my pattern out to like 40. And then after that, it's like, I know I could probably kill one at 50, but it's like, I've heard enough horror stories and it's just, you know, it's like, I like to call a bird to a certain point to get so close to me to really feel like I won that chess match. Cause it's like, I'm all for the guy. It's like, if you take the time and you patterned your gun and you found the choke and the shell and you can pattern out and probably kill a bird at like 70, 80 yards, you know what? Good for you, man. Like that's awesome. Sometimes you have to make those if you really want to put a bird down because they get hung up and they see that Hindi koi. And they sit there back there and they strut and they're just thinking, okay, I've come so far. She's going to come to me because in nature, that's how it works. You know, you get a hen. Her job is to listen, hear the Tom. She's going to go to him. She's going to get bread. She's going to go feed. She's going to go nest. She's going to go do her thing throughout the day. The Tom, he just kind of sits back and he's relaxed. You know, he's doing his own thing. And for me, right then and there, after that happened, he came in, strutted around for a second, kind of went back out to 60 outside of my shooting range. And all he did was sit there and strut. And he could see my decoy. And he flanked me from a complete opposite direction that I had no idea. I wouldn't even think he would come around to it. But then he just kind of got a whiff of something he didn't like. And it was out of my sight because it was off to my left. And it, I don't know what it is. 
I always say it, but it's like nine times out of 10, when a bird comes in, it's like they come in from a direction where you're looking out of the corner of your eyes to the point you're probably going to cry because it's going to hurt so bad. I don't know what it is. That's just what's always, it's always felt like it's happened to me that, or they just come right off over a hill and it's just that textbook picture. Perfect. You see a tail fan, they come right over spit and drum, give you the ultimate show and then it's over. But right then and there, I was kind of like, he spooked, he putted and he ran off. I got him to gobble again. I'd called to him. He was definitely hot to trot, but I was just like, maybe this decoy thing isn't as great as I thought it would be for that very reason right there. Cause maybe if I hadn't had that, he may not still come in any closer or maybe he would have came in all the way and been like, I could have swore right in here. I heard a hen and we'd be together right now. So I kind of go back and forth on the decoy strategy thing this year. I'm taking it a different approach. I'm trying to go zero decoy as much as I can possible, unless it's like a field situation where you kind of want to draw a bird in. But then it's kind of like what you say. It's like, you know, you may have the whole flock out there and it may scare one off. You know, you can't ever really tell. Yeah. Well, and so last year uh, when that Tom didn't like what he saw, um, I, I, I kept using them. I tried it later in that week um, and I went out after work uh, and I just went to like hunt the hardwoods and I sat on top of a ridge and I know the birds would move the, you know, they'd walk the ridge up and down and, you know, scratch and pick their way through and you know, just do turkey things. And I was just going to see if I could get a bird fired up. And I threw out two hen decoys just in case, you know, one did. Um, like one was a lookout hen and one was a feeding hen, um, you know, by themselves, no Jake decoy or anything. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, if a bird fires up in the afternoon, I can call him in and, you know, that way he at least has something to look at. Well, and, you know, it was probably more stupid luck. Like I've seen turkeys there in the past, but I mean, there's, there's so much area out there. They can, you know, change a different, you go up a different ridge depending on the day. And, um, but coming straight at me is this group of jakes like there had to be like six or seven of them like there was a ton of jakes and there were some hens with them and they they weren't gobbling or making any noise they were just feeding along and um i'm i'm definitely an opportunity um hunter so tom or jake i i don't care it he's gonna those turkey nuggets are just too good for me to to pass (laughs) up um you know, and it was getting close. I think that was my second. It was either my first tag or my, I, I, it might've been my second. Um, and the, the season ended like that day. Cause it always, end, it's the, the week start on a Wednesday and they end on a Tuesday. And then the following week starts on that following or the next Wednesday. Um, and I think it was like, it was a Monday or Tuesday afternoon and I knew I couldn't get out in the mornings with work. You know, I could just get on the afternoon. So when those Jake's came in and they, they probably came into 30 yards and I was, I wasn't ready for it. Like my gun was down at this, my side. And, um, but then I'm thinking, Oh, perfect. You know, the hen decoys are there. Maybe they'll go chill out by the hen decoys and, you know, that'll give me time to, you know, pick one out and grab the gun. 
they got probably about 30 yards and then the Jake in front stops because he saw the decoys and right away all you could just see the demeanor of all the turkeys they all got real nervous and they all started to kind of pick their heads up and some of them started to turn and they were heading back the way they came and you know it pulled the focus off of me enough to where I could grab my gun you know rise up and I I, I shot one um but I, and there was no calling involved. So, and they were going right for the decoys. The moment they saw them, they stopped and they were, they wanted nothing to do with it. They were going the other way. And I think that was the last time I used them that season. Cause I'm like, Oh shit. I mean, if, if I can't even get a group of Jake decoy or Jake, uh, Jake's to come in and check them out, then either one, I'm not using them right which is extremely possible, although I don't know how hard it is to put a stake in the ground and put a decoy out. Um, or two, it's just that they don't like it. You know, I don't know if it's they've seen it before or they're not moving and that's throwing them off. I don't know. But, yeah, I am i don't know if I'm really going to – I might try them again a little bit this season because there's a field that I might hunt um, again and I might be able to pull them – you know, over towards me and, you know, off the other side of the field. But other than that, you know, when I hunt those hardwoods and stuff, it's just going to be running gun and, you know, just leave the decoys in the truck, I think. Yeah, definitely for sure. And you bringing up the Jakes, it really like, it brings up something I've thought of too, as far as like with decoys, it's like an actual Jake decoy itself. And a lot of these Jake decoys that come out on the market, like they look spectacular. They look freaking awesome. Like the feather, the detail, like some, like these Avian X and DSDs, they look incredibly real. The one thing I wish they would change about them is going from that standard, every strutter, Jake, Tom, whatever kind of male decoy it is. It's always a red, white, and blue head, which yet turkeys, a male in the spring, when he's strutting, he's proud. He's all fanned out. He's trying to be as colorful and as vibrant as he can. You know, his head's probably going to be red, white, and blue. But yet at the same time, that's the colors of like a true dominant gobbler, which I have seen some toms before that have come in that have had an all white head. But generally, you know, that's going to be like probably a two-year-old bird. He's holding his own enough to where, yeah, he's coming in. He's strutting. He's a full-grown Tom. He can take care of himself. But yet, he's not quite that boss gobbler maturity status level yet of being the man and having those full colors that just screams, I'm the dude in charge. I'm the guy taking the scene. These are my hens. Leave me alone. And I feel like that could be, that's a game changer that a lot of guys could use in their spread, especially when using a Jake decoy, is to actually, you know, go through and doctor that Jake decoy up on his head. Get you some paint. Go to Walmart. Get you some, you know, base acrylic paint. Get you some white and red. Mix it to where it's like you get that just real light shade of pink mm-hmm. and go over those red parts on his head. And make that head look as white as you can possible. Because it's like, he's a Jake. He's not meant to be a full-on, full dominant 
gobbler or anything like that. He's just a cocky little, you know, he's, he's a freshman. He's just the new kid on the block that wants to come in and try and get a hen while you're trying to entice big man over here. Hey, cocky little kid over here is running his mouth, trying to get with your girlfriend better get over here. Yeah. He's an easy target to hit versus those birds that are going to kind of hang up. Cause it's like, they see those colors and they're like, I can't tell how big he really is at a distance, how old he is, but he's like, from the looks of his demeanor, he kind of looks like he knows what's up. So I might back off, might go up the ridge. I'm going to wait till later till that hen's ready to breed again. And I might try and talk to her then, but I'm going to hold off till now. And that's just kind of something that, you know, I've thought of and my dad's taught me and that we've done before is go through and paint your Jake decoy, paint his head more white. And a lot of times you can entice a bird, even a group of Jake's to come in better on you using a male decoy over a hen just because it looks less dominant and less threatening. Yeah. Well, and, and those Jake groups, I mean, I don't know how, how many like Tom's I've had opportunities for that I've lost out on because all of a sudden a four pack of Jake's will come in and they'll run them off. Like, I don't care how boss hog that Tom thinks he is. If he's got a group of Jake's coming at him, he's just gonna, he's gonna leave because he knows he can't take four of them. You know, and it's like, those little shits just come in and ruin, ruin my day. I was going after a long beard and I wasn't going to shoot you, but well, you, you ruined that for, you know, you ruined <laughs> that for me and you ruined it for yourself. One of you is going to get it and I don't even feel bad. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. It makes me think, you know, it's like, and I know it's happened to my dad because I've talked to him about it, but it's like, it hasn't happened to me personally yet. At least I've seen, but I know what you're talking about. It's like you have one Tom that's just fired up and you had him gobbling so good. And then here comes a group of bullies and it's just like, you got to be freaking kidding me right now. But mm -hmm. there's an old saying that kind of goes, it's like, you know, if they talk like a man, they're going to die like a man. <laughs> and what makes me mad the most is when, you know you've got a good, you got a full-grown Tom. You got a boss talking to you. And then you get a group of, you know, you might have two or three talking to you then over here on the side. And anyway, they're all gobbling hot and heavy and they're doing their thing. And I don't know what it is about Jake's. It's like as soon as they learn how to gobble, it's like, holy shit. This is a skill that I thought I would never possess. And that's the only thing that they know how to do from the time that, you know, the sun comes up until that mid morning period where it's just like everything kind of goes dead and they're going off to feed. It's like, they just constantly, they hammer, but nothing makes me more mad than when I think, okay, I've got two Toms over here, shoulder to shoulder. They're coming in, they're ready to do their thing. As soon as they break over, I'm going to rock one's world. And then they kind of come around and you see them at a distance and you're like, oh my gosh, they're Jake's like biggest killer of all time to me. Cause I'm just like, gosh, dang, I'm over here thinking, holy shit, I got a six to midnight going on right now. And it's just like these Jake's come running in and yeah, fun's over. 
looks like if one gets close enough, I'm I'm whacking one. But yeah, if, if they get in range, <laughs> they get the smoke. That that's what I I have no mercy when it comes to that. I don't even feel bad because one turkey nuggets you can just that's the only reason you ever need and and two you can look at it like a a management standpoint just say it was a management turkey and you're letting a long beard you know let them live one more year so it gets a little bit bigger (laughs) yeah you gotta let them two-year-olds reach full maturity to be a three you gotta you gotta let them you know let them go and let them grow yeah if that cute. means that jake's gotta get the smoke well thanks for your sacrifice dude you're gonna taste great on that grill yeah qtma quality turkey management uh-huh that's what we're all about here at bso i think we just found a future nonprofit name right there <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here you heard it here it's- first it's been trademarked. Don't don't try and steal it. Yeah. Nope. You heard me, QDMA. <laughs> Justin Rector, you heard it here first. That's no sweat. <laughs> I like I like uh, the I like the Kyle, what'd you say? Blow blow the smoke or get the smoke? Oh, you, you you give them the smoke. Give them the smoke. <laughs> hey, if, if, give them the smoke. If they want to come in, they're gonna get the smoke. I mean there's just no way around it you talk like a man you die like a man and give him the smoke that's right only way to handle it it's funny it's funny how different i mean and now mind you like i'm a newer hunter in this so when you're hunting whitetails and then you're flipping the switch to hunting turkeys it's completely different it's like all-out war when you're going up against turkeys like it's Katie bar the door you're going full fledged into it the um i have some questions for both of you so what i want to do is i'm going to ask either Kyle or Dustin first and then after one of you guys respond the other will respond to it okay got it so Sweet. in this situation for somebody out there who is newer to turkey hunting or they don't have a lot of experience, they you know they may not have a mentor, whatever the case may be, how are you going to tackle a hand up Tom? Dustin, go ahead and you can start. I would say the best way I'm going to tackle a hand up Tom is you know you go through and like you're saying if you don't have a mentor or anyone to kind of like show you the ropes and you're going through and you're doing your own research research. one of the things that you're going to find is one of the best strategies to do is put a bird to bed now easier said than done because not always will a bird gobble in the evening but generally on average he'll probably gobble once or twice just to let everyone know hey i'm over here come the next morning show's on again we're going to do our thing. But I would say when gobbling a hen up Tom, because those most frequent times, it's going to be two periods in the morning when a Tom's going to be most hen up. His first thing, and generally between 
you know, from 8.30 to 9.30, anywhere in that hour is a sweet spot because those toms, they get kind of their harem of hens and, you know, they go off to breed and do whatever. As soon as they're done with that and those hens go off to feed and they're going to go nest, that tom's back to being lonely again. So really patterning that bird, it might take a day or two, but to really figure out when he is most lonely what I'm going to do is trying to creep in as close as I can to that bird and then try and entice him, get about a hundred yards or so, and then try and call him in from there. Cause that's when he's going to be most lonely and most susceptible is before hens get to him. And after the fact that they've already left. Okay. Okay. What about you, Cal? So I would go a different direction. So when I come across hend up toms, first thing I'll do, like, obviously, you know, you, you, if you have eyes on them, that's great. Um, and you get kind of a general sense of what direction they're going. Um, I go with the ambush tactic that that's honestly how, you know, I, I enjoy calling them in. Obviously like that's one of the best parts of turkey hunting, but kind of setting up those little ambushes. That's also really fun for me. Um, so I would just go straight Rambo and, you know, ambush them, get ahead of them. And, and, you know, I pull out Onyx and, you know, kind of look at the terrain features and use the knowledge that I have of like, okay, they're going this way. And there's a saddle between these two ridges. They're probably going to cross there. You know, if I bust my ass and I can get over there and set up and, you know, if I guess right, you know, they're going to come right by me and, I don't have to worry about, you know, calling to a hen. I don't have to worry about overcalling to that Tom, you know, cause there's been a number of times where, you know, birds might kind of be coming my way and I'll call. And then that hen will be like, mm, I don't want to deal with you. So that boss hen is going to bring the, the flock and bring them somewhere else. So I go with the rambush tactic and, you know, try and get ahead of them and, you know, get them as they come by and, if it works, perfect. If it doesn't and say, you know, they spot you or, you know, you blow them out or blow, blow them out or whatever. The greatest part about turkey hunting is, you know, if you bust a bird, there's always another bird, you know, so just go hit a different piece of public or, you know, wait for another bird to fire up. So like, you don't have to tiptoe around it because it's not like, oh, I'm chasing 180 inch deer. And if I keep putting too much pressure on them, you know, I'm going to blow them out of the county. I mean, you're there's there's turkeys everywhere and they fire up all day long. So there's there's always going to be another bird. So just get aggressive. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. Those are I mean, like you said, Kyle, they're two different approaches. And I think that that's the thing when it comes to any any style of hunting, you have to be diverse and not get so focused on one plan of action on what you're going to do. You know, you need to be able to be flexible. And that's, you know, th and that's the thing, Dustin, every time that we go out and I mean, this is my, my third year turkey hunting. So that learning curve is still very, very wide. It seems every day, you know, it's, it's consistently changing on what the hell we're going to do with, so the next question I have, 
and Kyle, we'll start with you this time, is how are you going to hunt a silent tom? Silent toms are always pretty tough for me just because I'm fortunate enough and, you know, there's enough areas that I can go to to where I can typically find, you know, birds that want to play the game and and who are going to be vocal. But, you know, I've definitely come across those birds in the past where they'll gobble on the roosts and they might gobble once or twice on the ground and then they just, they shut up. and that with birds like that and if i don't have anything else like if i don't hear any other birds um what i'll do a lot is honestly just be patient with them because a lot of times like those birds will hear you call to them and especially if it's a heavily hunted area they'll they'll shut up and they'll just go quiet um you know don't be afraid to sit there for 45 minutes and just don't call anymore because that time he could have heard how many people called to him. So he knows like, well, if I make noise, I, I die. Cause I watched Kevin, you know, down, down the other tree here. He, he went in straight to a call and then he's gone. You know, I watched, you know, my other buddy, he went and got, you know, his head blown off the other day too. Cause he went into a call. So, you know, they kind of figure it out and just say like, all right, I just won't make any noise and then I'll survive. You know, so if they if they gobble a little bit and then shut up on you, you know, they're going to those birds are going to be cautious. They're going to take their time. And, you know, if it takes 45 minutes for them to go 150 yards, like they'll do it, you know, and they'll know, like we talked about earlier, they'll pinpoint where you were. They'll remember that. And sometimes they'll come in and check it out and might take them 30, 45 minutes and other times they won't. But, you know, if you get up and go to that bird like where he was gobbling you're most likely just going to bust him out every time so patience on those ones is definitely the name of the game so recapping real quick if you're going after a hand up tom you're probably going to be more aggressive but yes you're going after a silent tom you're going to play the patient game and that's assuming the silent Tom is alone. So like when I think of a silent Tom, I think he's, he doesn't have any hands with him. He's just kind of doing his own thing, you know, and he's, he's, he, he's seen some shit. So he knows like, all right, I'm just going to chill out here and, and, you know, n- you know, not be aggressive, not make a bunch of noise, not gobble, you know? So I'm assuming he's alone and he's kind of looking for some hands, but he's also not in a rush to do it because he's seen what happened. Right. He's essentially a educated bird. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's amazing what those birds will learn. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, I, I might call them stupid and stuff like that for some of the things they do. But, you know, once, once they see a few things, they, they put one and two together pretty quick. So, yeah, like. That, that's kind of how I look at it. A hand up Tom and a silent Tom are two different ones because those hand up Toms, you know, they're typically with other birds and they're, they're moving and feeding throughout the day. And that silent one, you know, he might hang out in that area and, you know, he might slowly go towards some hens he heard, but you know, he's not in any rush to get to it. Okay. Dustin, what about you, man? When I think 
I'm going to tag in with Kyle on this, like a lot what he just said right there. It's like, I fully agree 110%. When I think of a silent Tom, I think of that middle of the road gobbler, like a two-year-old Tom, maybe even a three-year-old who just never had his full wits about him. He always kind of got bullied out of the rest of the flock. You know, he's off to his lonesome. He's afraid to say too much because there's one guy, maybe two, three more, that's just got a little more fighting them than what he does in him. So when you're going after a silent Tom, it's kind of like going back to what I got taught. You know, you go prospect. I want to get to those areas, and that's where kind of kind of where your scouting comes in, really, I think, because you can generally tell when you got a gobbler running through an area you know when you got a lot of timber and fallen you got leaves on the ground you know you can see hen scratch and everything hen scratch is generally big vast open area and a tom will generally go up and he'll scratch at the base of the tree now those less dominant toms they're probably going to run somewhere in the midst of those groups of hens or they're going to act kind of more like one because they have those less dominant traits to them. So I really try to break away from where that dominant bird is going to be. You know, those high ridge tops, fields, any kind of opening where he's just going to have a strut zone, where those big birds are going to get up there. They're going to strut. They're going to sit. They're going to wait for hens because they know where he's at. And that's the guy that they're going to want to go to. You go after that silent Tom, you're looking for someone who's honestly probably easier to draw in in the aspect that he is desperate but harder to draw in the fact that he's afraid he's going to get his butt whooped by the big man just upstairs from him so the best way i think to go about it find those areas where those hens are feeding at in certain points of the day you know mid-morning midday late afternoon where you see those scratch on sides of ridges up along benches or flats wherever it is you're hunting and just sit up there and patience is the name of the game at that point you know maybe at that state throw out a feeder hen just off by herself something that looks natural or different compared to most guys throwing a decoy out with their head upright that looks more alert anything that's going to make that tom feel more comfortable to come into your setup and just be patient and even break out, you know, more subtle calls, even more subtle than like soft helps, soft purrs, clucks, raking the leaves. I think with a combination of soft clucks and purrs has put more birds on the ground than just blatant, plain yelping to a Tom. As soon as you start to get down and act like a real hen and kind of mimic those scenarios that they go through throughout their day when they're feeding and just acting natural amongst each other and not even towards a tom you know lesser aggressive birds they'll hear that and they're like there's a hen or two feeding up on that hillside i'm gonna run up there and just see what's going on because i know i'm safe because that guy's always right off over there i'm gonna run up here real quick and maybe i might just have a shot so i think yeah, to go along with Kyle, patience is the name of game, but it's like to mimic 
you know, a hen in a state where she's not necessarily focused on going to a Tom to get bread. That's kind of where it's like, it's, you call it deer hunting for turkeys pretty much. Okay. That, that makes sense. And those are both pretty similar in, in that situation. So Dustin, back to you, you, uh, you're sitting there, you're hunting, you see this Tom, he's in a strut zone, he's gobbling at you, but you can't get him to budge out of his strut zone. What are you going to do? So he can see me? You can see him. I'm trying him. to get him a budge. You can, see, he you can see him, but he will not leave his strut zone. Okay. You've been calling to him, he'll gobble at you. And then he'll go back to strutting. This is where this is where this gets challenging because if you get on a bird like this and he's just like it's that real awkward spot. You get past kind of that 50-yard threshold which is like probably the max to where you know you're going to shoot if he's right there hung up at like 70 to 90 yards there's a few things you can do in a scenario like this. If you're in thick enough timber and if he turns and if he's strutting and he's going away, you can kind of creep in on him slow and steady, hop from tree to tree, or you can go at it another direction. If that bird's going away and you've been doing nothing but hen calling at him, this is where a Jake Yelp can come in real handy. Because nothing's going to piss off a big Tom more, I think, than some young, cocky, little, you know, like freshman of a Tom, a Jake. He's coming in there, and he's talking his piece. And that old man's going to hear that over there, and he's going to think, uh-uh, this is my turf. This is where I run. Yeah, you're not welcome here. And generally, he might come in and take a look around, if he does see one, pretty much all bets are off. He's going to run down there and going to whoop some ass. But he will probably come in out of curiosity at least a little bit closer than what he had previously. Okay. It And that's like the things that you see in a lot of times and in, in a lot of videos. You know, like they these guys will do different things and it, it seems like there's just a million ways to go about it. Kyle, what, what would you do in that situation? So I, I think I would, you know, be along those same lines of, you know, if he's sitting there strutting and, and he just won't give, give up that last like 15, 20 yards. Um, you know, and typically like when I'm calling turkeys, it's, it's pretty basic stuff. Um, you know, I use a diaphragm call and, and all that stuff, but like, I just, I can't do all like the fancy stuff. So my, my outlook on turkey calling is like less is more. Um, so typically if I get a Tom coming in and he holds up, you know, when I'm calling to him, it's definitely on the you know lighter side of things. 
So when he gets caught up there, then, you know, I'm going to throw everything I have at him and the the kitchen sink, you know, I'm going to start doing some aggressive cuts and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make it try and sound like, you know, I'm I'm further away than I am, you know, turning my head and, you know, covering my, that side of my mouth and stuff like that to make it sound like, you know, I'm a little further away than what I actually am to hopefully draw them in for that last, you know, little bit I need. Um, you know, but just do, you know, like some purrs and, you know, just get aggressive with it. A lot of excited cuts and, and stuff like that. Um, sometimes it works and sometimes he goes, all right, you know, you're a little crazy for me. I'm going to head out the other way, but you know, at, at least you tried something instead of just watching, you know, yeah, it's cool to sit there and watch them strut, but it'd be a lot cooler if you came a little bit closer. Right. What, Dustin, I'm throwing this one at you. What, because I know that you're you're changing your setup a little bit this year with, with what you're doing. What tools, calls, et cetera, are you bringing out to the turkey woods with you? So, as far as calls, it's like for myself, personally, I'm packing three diaphragms. You know, it's like I always like to get three or four. And usually I only end up using one or two out of the bunch because one's going to sound good on the soft end. And then when you need to get to that higher end and sound more aggressive, they're always going to be your higher raspier, you know, real high pitch calls. So a few good diaphragms that really like to work with. That's where I usually start. And then I always like two pot calls. I like one for soft like, you know, that low to medium range. And then the other one to carry from that medium all the way up to the high. And, you know, for like low to medium, I'm using a slate call. And then from that medium to high, I'm using a, like a crystal glass, anything that's real high in frequency, that's going to cut through wind good. It's going to cut long distance. A bird's going to hear it. You know, those frequency, it's going to, hit that bird and it's amazing what a high frequency call when it hit a when it hits a bird's eardrums it's almost like it just flips a switch it's no different a shot gobble like throwing a crow or an owl hoot at him he's gonna gobble off of it just out of instinct because it's a loud random sound he's so high strung so between those two right there those are the pot calls i'm gonna carry other than that i'm gonna carry an owl hooter and a crow call just your basic locators you know if you do want to switch anything up i have looked into a coyote howler it's kind of a double-edged sword on one end it can be really great because it's completely out of the bag not a lot of guys use it or that's like a turkey's worst enemy and worst nightmare and it can also scare them at the same time and cause them to shut up i've seen before but you know just if you stick with your basics with your crow or your owl you're generally you're going to have a good call to use to get a bird a shot gobble on the roost or any point in the morning and then pretty much other than that when you really start to break down the tools you know one thing i do recommend is a good pair of pruners just something easy you can clip little limbs with you clear those shooting lanes for yourself because it's amazing when you sit down up against a tree and you start to notice 
like those first five yards in front of you, when you need to swing your gun or do whatever, that bird gets behind a tree. It's like, well, there's this, this little sapling in the way. I sure wish I could get this out of my way. And trust me, when you clip a tree using little pruners or like fiskers, it works so much better than just breaking it over like a Neanderthal. Cause it's just, a, you go from like chop to just the most God awful loud crack. And if you don't think a bird can hear that, if he can hear you making a soft cluck in a tree elp from 200 yards, it's like, yeah, you better bet your bottom dollar. He's going to hear you snap a little tree in half. So other than that, it's like, as far as calls, tools, stuff like that, I'm carrying with me. I mean, I'll have a, you know, I'll have a tote because I like to keep with the times, I guess, and get on this rave of everyone slinging turkeys over their shoulders when you could just carry them by their feet. But I guess I'll hop on this train too and look better for my Instagram pictures here in about a week or so. And then a hunter orange bag that you can sling over your back is a great thing too. Cause it's like, if you are in pretty good public, that is heavily pressured. I can't tell you how many horror stories I've read about guys carrying out a bird and you get some trigger happy, just flat out idiot sees a floating Turkey go by. Well, hell the Turkey, he looked kind of weird. Cause I mean, hell his head was down and his tail was all the way up in the air. I saw a Turkey. So I went ahead and shot like, dude, get out of here. Like, yeah, I don't trust people enough to do that. Sorry, everyone. I know there's an idiot out there somewhere, but if you got an orange bag, please use that. And whenever you feel necessary, it's better to be safe. Than sorry, stuff your bird in it, carry it out, be completely safe. And I mean, really, other than that, that's, that's about all I got going with. I think that there's something, dude, that we, we ought to do a podcast on this sometime, talking about different turkey calls. You, you go to the store, whether it's the Bass Pro Shop or Walmart Academy or whatever, you know, and you, you go in there and they got all these turkey calls. I wonder how many guys actually know the difference between slate glass aluminum what the different reads mean with your mouth calls the difference between any of these you know i think that a lot of guys going to say oh this one looks cool it's got a cool striker i'm going to go with this and not that they actually have a purpose Kyle, what are you taking out to the turkey woods man um i go you know, typically pretty light. Um, as far as calls go, I usually bring a couple mouth calls. Uh, I, I usually run like Wood Havens. Um, those seem to be, I don't know, the best that I found. And they, at least they work really well for me. Um, you know, I kind of have like a louder one for more of like the locating and getting some attention. Then I have a softer one for, you know, when I'm, when I'm trying to, you know, convince them to come in. And, and when I, when I fire up a bird, I, I try and stick with what I was using. Cause I, I kind of look at it like this. So I'm using one call and it's, and it's, um, you know, it's like, say it's a high pitched one or something like that. He gobbles that, you know, I kind of, I, I assume turkeys are smart enough to know like, okay, like, yeah, this is what that hen sounded like. 
And then, okay, I come in closer, then all of a sudden you throw in a different read and you sound, you know, it's like a little bit lower or raspy or something like that. That'd be like, you, you know, you guys talking to me and I sound like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, my voice drops like 10 octaves. It's like, oh, that, that was weird. I don't think, um, I don't think I want to go over there. And maybe sometimes it works and they think there's multiple hens, but, you know, it's just, maybe it's just in my head that I think that it just sounds different. It might kind of spook them away, but, um, so I, yeah, I, I run a couple different mouth calls. Uh, I, I go with, a uh, uh, one slate call. I'll use that quite a bit. If I'm, you know, trying to locate birds from far, you know, I'll do a lot of cutting on that. And then I, I do bring a box call, um, that I can get real loud with, you know, if I'm trying to cover a big area and, and you know, see if I can get a bird to kind of, like you said, like shot gobble to it almost, you know, just cause it kind of came out of nowhere and it's on the louder side. So, um, and I do bring a saw I've been looking, I I've been meaning to get some snips. Like you said, those things work. It's just, you know, it's so quiet, so easy. And, you know, if, if you got to cut down a tree with a saw, then you should probably sit somewhere else, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I go, I go pretty light. Everything fits in my vest really well. And, you know, and, and I do a lot of moving and, you know, so I want to stay mobile and, and be able to kind of just get up and go whenever, cause you just, you never know with those birds when they're going to fire off. And sometimes you just got to hit the deck where you are. And other times you got to haul ass halfway across to 40 to get in position. I think that between the two of you guys and all the calls and tools that you're using, a lot of guys can learn a lot from that. And which I'm sure there's other people that they listen to and stuff, but when you're when you're actually hearing it just from your average your average Joe and what they're taking to the turkey woods, it might come off just to be a little bit more sensible. You're not trying to get someone to buy a product, in my opinion. But Guys, we're kind of coming up on that time hack here. This has been a very informational episode with a lot of knowledge about turkey hunting and turkeys in general. So be sure to uh, actually go ahead, Kyle. I'll let you. I'll let you go ahead and tell them again where they can find you at. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is w i and then my last name which is beeson b-i-s-s-e-n you know if you have any questions about you know any calls or turkey situations or anything like that you know i might not be the the leading expert in it but i've killed my fair share of long beards and you know so it must be doing something right and on a on an exciting note too here with that which for the folks that listen to the cop the podcast, you kind of be the first ones to know. Dude, Kyle, you're you're joining the BSO team, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You guys are silly enough to uh, to bring me on board, so it's it'd be silly for me to say no. No, you can join our merry crew. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited. I mean, I think uh, you know we got a pretty good relationship going and you know we agree on a lot of stuff and i mean we got the same goals and just get people out into the outdoors and and just enjoy it i mean what more can you ask for 
yeah, I mean, you, you can't ask for anything more. I mean, I'm excited to see what uh, what comes of all this and some more really good content that the three of us can bring to the table. So, guys, as always, stay safe out there and uh, give us a like or comment or rating on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on and hunt relentlessly and good luck to all the missouri turkey hunters out there the our next podcast probably won't come out until we're about halfway through the first week of turkey season so look forward to catching up with all of you then we'll see you next time folks